You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 3, kind of halfway through. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in 1508, and I'm going to say this name very quickly because last time I pronounced it, I was critiqued on it. Michelangelo. Someone told me it sounded like you said Michelangelo, like it was two names. Michelangelo was commissioned to paint, you've seen this before, right? The, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, one of the centerpieces is called the Creation of Adam, which has been intentionally cropped for our younger viewing audiences there. God is reaching out to humanity, God with his hand, Adam with his hand. And what's interesting about this painting is how it represents God and how it represents Adam. God is intentional, and he is clearly moving toward the earth with force. You can see the hairs on his head and his beard are moving. There's a clear movement. He is drawing near to humanity with all of the power and all of the resources of heaven above. And then there's Adam, who is sort of lounging and lifeless. He, his hand is reached out, but it is clearly powerless. It is drooping. And despite the fact that he is physically fit and toned and suspiciously hairless, <laughs> despite the fact that he is physically fit and he is physically toned, he is spiritually weak and he is spiritually lifeless. And this is a helpless illustration for a couple different reasons. One, it shows us God's intentional move toward humanity throughout redemptive history, God is moving toward us. And despite our inability to reach God, God draws near in the person of Jesus. That's the story of the gospel. But it also shows how utterly dependent humanity is upon our maker. Just how dependent for all of life, but specifically for spiritual life. So here's the question that I want us to consider today. How do we come alive spiritually? How do we go from being lifeless and weak and incapable and apathetic and spiritually dead inside to living intentional, joyful, enthusiastic, spiritually empowered lives? And the answer that the Bible gives us, it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. An author named J.C. Ryle put it this way, where he is, there will be life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. And where he is not, all will be dead, tame, formal, sleepy, and cold. Then let everyone who desires to see an increase of pure and undefiled religion, pray daily for more 
of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're working our way through uh, Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, and I warned you, we're working our way very slowly. And today what I want to do is I want to pause and focus on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit who was just mentioned briefly here in in verse 4 because it is through the Holy Spirit that we come to believe, we come to experience, and we come to proclaim that Jesus truly is better. Christianity is not easy. Following Jesus is not a walk in the park. But Christianity without the Holy Spirit is just simply impossible. You can't seek Jesus. You can't obey Jesus. You can't enjoy anything about Jesus on your own. You need the Spirit. I need the Spirit reality. We need the Holy Spirit. So the context of this passage is important. The author is talking about the gospel message that was first declared by Jesus himself and then subsequently proclaimed by the disciples. And as that truth, the gospel message was being proclaimed, the power of God accompanied that message, the good news of the kingdom of God that's come in Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins to redeem us and reconcile us to God and where Christ conquered death through his resurrection and is now seated at the right hand of God until he returns. The good news was being authenticated through these miracles that Jesus performed, like when Jesus healed the sick. Or like when Jesus delivered the oppressed. Or like Jesus' first recorded miracle, when he turned water into wine, and so on and so forth. And the ultimate miracle was when Jesus raised out of death in the resurrection, which was the ultimate proof that verified his claims. Truly, this is the Son of God. And after the resurrection, Jesus then told his disciples this in Acts chapter 1. He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to live for something bigger than you. And that's what the Spirit is doing in and among us today. So if you're taking notes, here's where we're going to begin today. First... Who is the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? Now, I want you to notice that I did not say, what is the Holy Spirit? This is a very important truth that I'm going to continue to press until we all grasp this. The Holy Spirit is not in it. He is not an impersonal force or some sort of abstract divine energy that travels through the universe. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, who with the Father and the Son is eternal God. And he is given to the believer as a gift and as a guarantee so that through true faith, he makes us to share in Christ and to share in all of Christ's benefits. How do we get, lay hold of, how do we receive in our lives everything that Jesus has done for us? It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And while we can have varying experiences of the Spirit, and while we can have varying gifts, and we will have varying gifts of the Spirit, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, so our experiences of the Spirit are going to be different. 
But the truth is that all who believe receive the same Holy Spirit upon salvation. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. I remember being at a prayer meeting of, I think, Christians. At least I thought that, that was the assumption of a prayer meeting. But the emphasis of this prayer meeting became really clear all of a sudden that it was everyone here needs to receive the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? As if it was a secondary experience. And the message was very confusing. It was this, that you can be a Christian but not have the Holy Spirit. Or like the denomination that I grew up within, which I credit for a lot of what I know and how, who I am today, but I do have this huge disagreement with, like the denomination I grew up with who said you can be a Christian, but you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you express one clear gift of the Holy Spirit, which is speaking in tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. It sucks for you. Totally disagree. And this is not the consistent message of the Bible. The Bible tells us this, Ephesians chapter one. In him, speaking of Jesus, you also, and I want you to hear this as personalized, you too, and you. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you believe in Christ, when you put your trust in the crucified and risen Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can come to believe in Christ. The Spirit comes when we believe in Christ and the Spirit is who causes us to believe in Christ. It's all a work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God with his people. He is how we experience God. He is how we come to hear from God. He is how we live for God. He's who moves us to pray. The Spirit is also the one who helps us when we don't have the words to pray. He is the one who regenerates us, which means he causes us to be spiritually awakened, to be reborn. I am converted. I am reborn in Jesus Christ because the Spirit awakened me to life, because of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He is who comforts us. He is who guides us. He is who convicts us of sin. But also, he is the one who assures us that we are children of God and that we're loved forever. It's through the Holy Spirit we cry out to God, Abba, Father. The Spirit empowers us to believe God's word. The Spirit empowers us to obey God's word. The Spirit empowers us to proclaim God's word. It's through the Spirit that we turn away from the old habits and the old works of the flesh. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we come to bear new fruit in our lives. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Holy Spirit is for his people. The Holy Spirit is with his people. The Holy Spirit is within his people. And he is transforming our lives and making us day after day more and more like Jesus. Our Bible studies just covered this in, a couple weeks ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we read this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the... Turns out the Spirit's doing that. The Spirit's making you more like Jesus. And all throughout the scriptures, from the very beginning to the very end, it's the Spirit who brings life in otherwise lifeless things. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God breathed his breath into Adam. It means that the Spirit entered into humanity. In Ezekiel 37, it's the Spirit that raises an entire valley of dry bones to life again. In Acts chapter 2, God pours the personal presence of God, the Holy Spirit, out upon the church on the day of Pentecost, and all of God's people are filled with the Spirit to live these powerful lives of witness to Christ, to proclaim the gospel effectively and with power. Our life, our hope, our joy, our energy, our mission, our entire Christian experience depends on the work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot overemphasize this point. It all hinges on him. And so among many of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, and I have just scratched the surface here, by the way, Hebrews mentions that he gives us gifts. Verse four, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So if you're taking notes, the second question we'll cover is this. What are the gifts of the Spirit? What are those gifts? The author of Hebrews sort of takes for granted that the church would know what is being mentioned here. So we'll have to look elsewhere in Scripture to kind of get clues as to what is meant. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read just a quick, brief definition, and then we'll flesh this out. Spiritual gifts are abilities and or roles given to believers by God through Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. These gifts can be new or renewed abilities. And although they are provided to individuals, the gifts exist for the greater good of the church, to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, and to bring God glory. Why are we gifted by the Holy Spirit? To serve the church to make much of the mission of Jesus Christ and to bring glory to God. That's why we're gifted. And so the context here in Hebrews is really important because the diverse gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes among God's people are what confirm or what verify the truth of the gospel. So we are joined with this lineage of faithful witnesses that are being mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 2. And while the miracles of Jesus that he performed in his ministry are very unique to the miracles of Jesus, the author is reminding the reader that though the ministry of Jesus was unique, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry is now active and at work in the church today. If you believe it, say amen. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry is with his people today. You may not be, and you're not. I can speak for you. You're not an original disciple. You didn't live 2,000 years ago. You weren't there with Jesus and experiencing all that Jesus said and did. But that does not make you a second-rate Christian. 
that does not make you a lesser Christian than the early church. The same spirit is here. The same spirit is with you. And he's gifting his people and he's empowering us to live changed lives that proclaim the gospel in power. So, a little point of reflection. What this leads us to think about and consider is this. If, if you're doing all the same things and in all the same ways that you did before you were a Christian, if there is no contrast between what was and what is now in Christ, then there is abundant reason to seriously question whether or not your life is being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Whether you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit or you're still trying to live, as the scriptures would describe, according to the flesh, according to your own will and your own strength. The unified witness of scripture is this. The Spirit brings change. The Spirit changes us. The Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings new motivations. The Spirit brings new affections in our hearts. The Spirit brings power in areas of our lives that were previously dead. Now, this is not to say that God can't or God won't use our natural abilities. This is not to say that if you were skilled at something before you were a Christian that that that's now off the table, God will never use that. I'm not saying that. But the point is that God empowers his people to do things that we simply couldn't do on our own in our own strength. Things that leave us no other option but to say, that was God. That was God. So let me tell you a personal story. By the time I was 18, I had experienced three concussions. In my early adult years, my ability to think, to read, to reason, to speak, to do a lot of things using my brain were severely impaired. I found it really difficult to be in public places with a lot of people because I couldn't process what people were saying fast enough to respond to carry on a conversation. So there'd be these long, awkward pauses where people are like, okay, see you later. Are we connecting here? Are we talking here? So I hated speaking in public places. I couldn't form a coherent thought. Plus, I hated being in front of people. So I dreaded interactions. I hated reading. I avoided learning. I despised everything I do now as a pastor. I hated all of it. But after I received Christ, after I became a believer, I really truly believe that God put within me a hunger to read the Bible and to learn theology and to help other people learn and grow in Christ as well. And I knew this was from God because it clearly was not from me. These weren't just like natural abilities that were now like clicking into place as a believer. I knew it was from God because they were not things I was naturally drawn towards. These weren't my natural passions and skills. It was totally from outside of me. It was grace. Grace. And so as I studied the Bible, I could see change happening in me. Not just my morals and my behaviors, that included, but also a desire to learn, an interest to serve, which by the way, that's a work of God. 
and the opportunity to speak. It was the slow growing ability to do these things effectively. Now, if anyone's been here for a long time as a church, you're like, yeah, emphasis on the slow growing ability. Fair. This is the process, or this was and continues to be the process of the Holy Spirit bringing about the gift of teaching and preaching in my life. That's just a small example of my life. I wonder what he's done in yours as well. And the beauty of all of this is that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts, we're told here, according to his will. So whatever the area of gifting is, whether it's public or it's behind the scenes, whether it's an extraordinary gift, whether it's a very ordinary gift, whether it's recognized or whether it's totally overlooked week after week, whatever the gift is, there is no opportunity for pride. And here's why. Because it's not mine. It's God. If anything, the spiritual gifts should humble us because it shows us where we lack and yet where God is sufficient. So here's something to, important to mention. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts, different gifts, to different people according to his will. So not everyone receives the same gifts. Not everyone should receive the same gifts. Paul in 1 Corinthians would say it would be like a body is just one big ear or one big mouth. That would be weird. In fact, if you have the ESV, there's a little footnote right here. And it points you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, and there's that same line, as he wills, as God wills. So this is important because it's not based on being deserving. God is not like, oh, that person, they're deserving of this gift. Let me give it to them. And it's not based on being naturally talented. God's not looking for the talented crew and he's like, you know what, they're already doing that well. Let's like sprinkle some spiritual gift stuff and make it even better. It's not based on your education. It's not based on your experience. It's not based on how long you've been walking with Christ. We are told here in Hebrews and in 1 Corinthians and I think from all, the whole of the New Testament, it is according to God's gracious will. Why? Because he's gracious. And he's good. And he's got a plan for your life better than your own. So the New Testament includes these different gifts in places, and I'll let you write this down if you want to go do your homework on your own. All right, got your pens ready? <laughs> Looks like a lot of people are ready for homework this week. Not. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter 4. And Romans chapter 12, we see what you can call an extensive lift, list of spiritual gifts, but not an exhaustive one. So as we read through all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, God is not saying these are only the, all and only the spiritual gifts that I provide. I think it's intended to be extensive to show how vast and broad the gifts are that God gives, but I'm sure that we experience spiritual gifts that are not mentioned here. So that extensive but not exhaustive list includes gifts like these. Maybe the Lord will stir you as I'm reading through some of these. Maybe you'll identify them in your, your own life or maybe in the people in your life. The gift of leadership. The gift of administration, which was a nautical term. 
It was not the captain of a ship, but it was the one at the helm that would take the directives of the captain and make sure that the ship landed where they were supposed to be. Teaching and preaching. Knowledge, the gift of knowledge, which is, I believe, like a spiritual insight where God allows us to see maybe what the human eye cannot. The gift of wisdom. Man, do we need that gift. The gift of prophecy, which has some varying definitions, but it's a word, I believe, fitly spoken from God for his people. The gift of languages and interpreting, or also known as the gift of tongues. We read about this in Acts chapter 2. What? We sang it today. We got to experience the gift of languages and interpretation as we sang in multiple languages today. The gift of discernment. My wife has the gift of discernment. She can read you like a book. The gift of exhortation, which is a form of encouragement, but it's also challenge. The gift of shepherding or pastoring. The gift of faith. The gift of evangelism. The gift of healing. The gift of service and helps. The gift of mercy. The gift of generosity. The gift of hospitality. Elsewhere in scripture, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul talks about the gift of marriage and also the gift of singleness. So if you're married, you have that spiritual gift. If you're single, you have that spiritual gift. And it's when the church as a whole comes together and the diverse set of gifts are represented, both the ordinary ones and the extraordinary ones, that's when the church is most powerful. That's when the church, I believe, is most transformative among us and in the community. And the gifts mean, the gifts show us that God is going to make sure that the church has everything that it needs. That the church doesn't need to outsource for grace. God gifts his people. And at the end of the day, all of the gifts are really just manifestations of the character of Jesus. Audible, intangible, practical ways that we and others are going to experience Jesus. They're how the ascended Christ, who is at the right hand of God in heaven today, will be experienced on earth in our midst as we await his return. You guys still with me? Now, this distribution of gifts is not intended as it often becomes, it is not intended to create this comparison game. Well, why don't I have that gift? Well, their gift looks more fun. Well, why can't I be in that role? Why why does their gift set seem to get more recognition than mine? Why does their gift seem to be more personally rewarding than mine? Why does their gift get the praise and the glory and mine's overlooked? Theirs looks more exciting. Mine looks boring. I like theirs. I don't like mine. Why? And instead of seeing the bigger picture and and the greater work that we're contributing to, it is easy to make it all about us. In fact, we call it my gift. My gift. My recognition. My spiritual experience. Which then becomes what I'm comfortable with. What I get out of it. And then we bundle all of that jargon and language up and we say, well, it's what I'm called to. Or, I'm not really called to that. And what happens is that the gifts become just another sort of wing of our self-expression. 
Well, I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs, and I'm a one with a wing of three, of course, on the Enneagram, and my gift sets are fill in the blank. That's who I am. Spiritual gifts aren't about self-expression. And reality, hear me clearly, please do not make this all about you. This is about making much of Jesus. The point here is about building others up to love and to obey and to enjoy Jesus as well. So third and finally, what uh, is the purpose of these gifts? What's the purpose of these gifts? Now, J.I. Packer uh, illustrates this perfectly, so I want to read an excerpt from one of his books. I think it's Keeping in Step with the Spirit. He said this. I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, he shall glorify me, speaking of the Spirit. Seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realizing that this was exactly the illustration that my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are pointed. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This, he says, perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior Jesus. Or think of it this way, he said, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us and throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. Reality. This is what the Spirit is intending to do in and in among us, in our lives as well. Making our lives less and less about us, our preferences, our attention, our glory, and more and more about Jesus. This is how we know the Spirit is at work in our lives. It's becoming less about me and more about Jesus. The Spirit will give us unique gifts that allow us to say and to demonstrate that same message. Look at Jesus. See his glory. See that he is better. It's the Spirit who teaches us to delight in Jesus, and it's the Spirit who gives us gifts to then help other people in our community to do the same. And this is the way that we know the Spirit's work in our lives. Do our thoughts and do our words and do our motivations and do our actions glorify Jesus? Are they about Jesus? This is also the way that we can identify maybe the absence of the Spirit in our lives. Do our thoughts, our words, and our actions glorify ourselves? The Spirit makes much of Jesus. The flesh makes much of self. The spirit deflects the spotlight. The flesh looks for center stage. 
The Spirit causes us to celebrate growth in others. Hey, man, look what God's been doing in you. Look at what God has done over these years. You may not be able to see it, but we can see it. God is at work within you. The flesh causes us to compare and grow jealous and say, look at me. Well, tell me about my accomplishments and tell me about my praise and tell me about my growth. The Holy Spirit is empowering you to live for something bigger than yourself. And while that may sound threatening, counterintuitive, or run against everything that you were taught, that's actually the place of freedom that your heart longs for most. It's what's been called the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. Where your life is marked by glorifying Jesus and less about you. So let me conclude like this. Man, our time went quick. The Christian can do two things in response to the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit with us and within us. The first is this. We can, and the scripture tells us that we can do this. We can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians chapter five, do not quench the Spirit. So the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is described here and elsewhere like a burning fire in our lives. But like a burning fire, it's one that can be quenched. He could be stifled, he could be extinguished. When we live without regard for the Spirit, when we rely on our own strength instead of His empowering, when we pursue our wishes over the will of God, when we resist His transforming, refining work, we slowly but surely quench that fire. Or, as 2 Timothy tells us, we can also fan into flame the gift of God. If this is a fire that can be quenched, this is also a fire that can be stoked in any and every one of our lives. By living in awareness of the Spirit, by relying on His strength and not our own, by pursuing the growth and the spiritual change that God desires for us, by being open and available to the ways that God desires to employ us and where he desires to place us and use our lives by exercising the gifts that he has given us with joy and contentment, by, willing, by being willing to risk, by being willing to try things for God. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know, try something. By being and remaining open to our community and being open to others telling us, hey, you know what? I think you're gifted in this area. But also being humble enough to hear these words, you know what? Maybe you're gifted in this other area over here. Maybe this isn't your gift set. Maybe it's over here. And being open to that redirecting. And while all believers, and I want you to hear me really clearly, all believers without exception have the Holy Spirit. We are still commanded to be filled with this Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter five says, do not be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea here is a continual feeling, be being filled. Well, I was filled with the Holy Spirit 10 years ago at this retreat. Be being 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I had this life-transforming moment early in my faith. Be being filled with the Spirit, yielding to his work, submitting to his leadership, and receiving all of his gracious benefits. Be being filled. In response, what I want to do, I really didn't know how to land this plane today, by the way. I left the, the end of my sermon open till this morning, and I was like, yep, still don't know. But here's what I want us to do. In a posture of receiving, I want to invite you, if you put your faith in Christ, to just open your hands upward towards God. And I want to pray that we would experience everything that God desires for us to experience through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That we would not hold back, that we would not resist his work, but we would be totally open to the transforming, comforting, guiding, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Lord, we come with open hands.